filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, and a whole lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Three hundred episodes. Strong air horn game. That's it. That's, that's my cold over. <laughs> we just spent twenty minutes chatting and going going through various topics we could use to open the show before we started recording. Jason's like, "I got it, you guys. Hit the button. Let's go." And that that was his thing. It, it was good. I liked it. It, it was because good. we've done three hundred episodes. That's fair. <laughs> I was going to say I have no complaints, but that's not entirely accurate. <laughs> um, We've only had uh, three times the amount of episodes as goats that were loose in Boise uh, this past weekend. Definitely not the case that I have no complaints. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to make lemonade out of this, though. This is our 300th episode. We should do something positive with it. Benjamin, do something positive with this. Sure. Um. The Down Syndrome Association of Greater Richmond, uh, which uh, of which I am a member because my daughter has Down Syndrome, uh, is a great organization. They provide services for uh, people with Down Syndrome and parents of people with Down Syndrome in Richmond, in Charlottesville, in Williamsburg. They've just expanded to Harrisonburg. So basically, anywhere in Virginia that isn't Southwest Virginia or isn't Northern Virginia, they're basically there. Uh, they're a great organization. They've been named... Uh, one of the best nonprofits in the country, and we're doing a fundraiser for them. We being me, not not filibuster officially, but they've graciously the other two have graciously allowed me to plug this. Um, so they help uh people with Down syndrome and their families with uh, uh job placement, with job training, with uh play groups, with uh coming to terms with things, just all sorts of things. Uh, if you want to know more about the organization, you go to you can go to uh, dsagr.org. And if you want to donate to our fundraiser, which we're doing, uh, it's a 5K here in Richmond. So if you're here in Richmond, you can join the 5K. But if you're not here in Richmond, you can uh, donate to our team and you can go to bit.do slash filibuster. And we'd just really appreciate it if you threw a couple bucks that way. It's a great organization in the community and it really affects my life and uh, my daughter's life, and I'd really appreciate it. So thanks. And with that, let's get to the show. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast, and supporting Ben and his family through charitable giving podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always, of course, by Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We're all from blackandredunited.com. We are talking about DC United tonight, the 1-1 draw up in Montreal. It's going to lead things off. And in the second segment, we will talk about DC United's next game, which is at home. It's going to be a theme going forward for the rest of this year Uh, against Orlando City. Catch that one on FS1 National TV, 8 p.m. Sunday night, August 12th. 
Before we talk about anything, though, regular listeners know what's coming next. Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I have a classic margarita. So I've got a Suerte Blanco, um, a little uh, Grand Marnier. I've been kind of Grand Marnier sweeter and a little thicker than um, some of the other options like triple sec in that uh, realm. So I've been trying to mess with the proportions. I think I might've added a little too much lime juice and not enough uh, GM in this one, but I'll figure it out eventually. It's still good. Um, But yeah, and it uh, also has limes uh, from lime trees. Ben, what are you drinking? So, uh, Two weekends ago, we went to a winery here in the Richmond, Virginia area, and I choose my wineries, as you might expect, based on their ability to serve local uh, local wine and local grapes. And there was a specific wild grape that was first cultivated in uh, the Richmond, Virginia area in the 1830s. It's called the Norton Grape. And it's seen a resurgence recently in Virginia, and it is apparently also the state grape of Missouri. And it's got a it's got a spicy flavor that is I have not found it in another kind of grape like that is popularly available. Uh, it's it's a weird grape, it's a funky grape, and I like it a lot. And it's from Richmond, Virginia, and there are a couple of wineries here in Richmond that serve it. It's a great red wine. And I, I just enjoy it. So if you have the ability to have some Norton, whether you're in Virginia or if you're in Missouri, uh, you, should, you should try it out because it's from downtown Richmond. And hmm. I demand that you do it. Richmond demands it. I remember getting extra credit in a college class I took at Purdue called Wine Appreciation. It was a great class. Uh, I took it pass fail. It was the best decision ever. There's a lot of Norton in, in Indiana, too. Yeah, it, I'm trying to remember. I, I went to a winery in far southwestern Indiana and um, drank. Uh, they have a, a mutant grape there that makes these very sweet red wines. They're not like ice wines or dessert wines. They're just a weird, funky, sweet red. And I, I don't remember if that was that's Norton. Not, I don't think that's Norton because Norton is not, uh, at least the Nortons I've had are not sweet. They're very okay. spicy. Okay. I. It, I, before I, you know, when I was a 21 year old, just drinking wine, well, yeah, uh, the sweet red appealed to me, but no longer does in my crotchety old age. Um, so the Norton one sounds a little bit, uh, more interesting to me. Uh, I'm not drinking wine tonight though. Uh, we have the trifecta, we have liquor, wine, and I'm drinking beer, I'm drinking port city, uh, from Alexandria, Virginia. They're downright Pilsner. It's Bohemian style. It's, it's not bad. It's pretty good. Poppy nice. Pilsner. It's nice. Nice. Soccer. Let's talk soccer. DC United went up to Quebec. Uh, finally showed up around eight minutes into the game after uh, already being down a goal several minutes after kickoff. They managed to come back and earn a point from a one-to-one draw that easily could have been three to three. Uh, this game with the impact just uh a weird one. Uh, let's start at the beginning. A very good place to start. That start was just inexcusable, Jason. Uh, yes. Um, DC, we talked about it on this show. We talked about it in the articles we wrote for the site. Um, DC couldn't afford anything 
that was a loss in this game, and they came out looking like they're playing to lose. Um, they just weren't ready to go. Uh, Montreal, yes, they were fairly sharp themselves. They deserve some of the credit, but most of it, for me at least, was DC just didn't look ready for what Montreal was going to throw at them, and it was kind of sort of what Montreal does. Um, they like to start quick and then get on the counter. If they get out in front, so be it. If they don't, they'll sit in and wait. Um, and United really kind of set themselves up in a pretty bad spot. Montreal's not the kind of team you want to be trailing uh, early because then you open up and then their counterattacking game plan is even more uh, fruitful than it normally would be. So um, the playoffs against them. Yeah. And it's, it's funny that they've changed so many different things. They have so many different players, a new coach who's tried every other thing in the world. And he had to circle back to save their season and play a compact counterattacking four three three. Um you know, it, it just the first fifteen minutes, I don't know um what was going on. It just the team wasn't quite all there. It was just it was a lack of sharpness, almost like, you know, something went wrong in the warm up and no one was quite had had quite recovered and they needed that slap in the face that was uh Mencosu's goal to uh to get going, which you can't do that. This team isn't good enough to get away you know, a, a team like Atlanta can get away with things like that. DC United can't. Uh, there's no margin for this kind of uh, mistake. And, and um, you know, as much as this was a game overall that United hit the post a bunch of times and had a bunch of other chances, uh, they also could have lost this game by three or four goals because Montreal was also able to carve out a ton of chances and hit the woodwork a bunch of times. So um, on another day, we're not talking about a wild possibly infuriating one, one draw. We're talking about um, United getting shelled and possibly looking into the abyss. So um, this has to be to me, at least that has to be the last time this season we are talking about a bad start. If we're talking about another one against another conference foe, if, um, then we're probably talking about a team that's not going anywhere in the postseason. Let's talk about the game. Once United did show up as, uh, as you alluded to Jason, there was a lot of uh, attacking chances in this Montreal hit the post early. Lucho Acosta hit the post early or hit the crossbar early. Wayne Rooney hit the post on a free kick. There were what five, six shots that hit the woodwork throughout this game. I think it was six in the end, Um, five in the first half and one in the second, something like that. Yeah. I I think one wasn't a shot, but the ball struck the post or, or crossbar six times. Right. And in addition to that, Steve Birnbaum saved a shot off the line. Uh, there was a lot of uh, of opportunity to score going around, and this one still managed to end one to one. Ben, what was your general impression of the attacking play? Uh, my general impression was pretty frustrated. I thought it was, I mean, it could have been really good, but it was, it, it, they were never able to pull the trigger. I thought, uh, Rooney was fine, but I I, I want to see him start scoring. I thought Assad was, other than his goal, was disappointing. I thought Steber was uh, disappointing all around, and we'll get to it uh, uh, more later on. But I think that uh, Paul Ariola, once he came on, was uh, it was obvious that he was necessary the entire time, and so it 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 was both play on the field and it was also lineup choices that had me uh, frustrated about this team's attacking play. Well, let's get into those 
lineup choices. Uh, surprise lineup, I think, in this one. And it's it's weird to call an unchanged 11 a uh, surprise. But in, in these circumstances, I, I think it, it was because Paul Ariola was on the bench. Chris Durkin was on the bench for for this one. Jason, what did you think when you saw the lineup came out? Uh, I was very surprised. Um, uh, you know, this was the the group that started against Colorado because of rotation. They had played the Red Bulls on Wednesday. They had to turn around and play a weaker team on Saturday. So Ben Olsen made some changes. I thought we would go back to more or less what we've been used to. Um, I was surprised that Ariola didn't get the start. He was coming back off suspension. Um, I mean, Rooney starting, that's not a surprise. A lot of the lineup isn't that surprising, but when you see um, Durkin getting dropped for Junior Moreno, that was a surprise to me. Um, Canals um, being staying at the number eight uh, was a mild surprise to me. I thought if he was going to start, it would be over Durkin, not over Ariola. Um, you know, last week on this show, I said that I felt that the player that should have been dropped uh, from the midfield to keep Ariola and Canals both on the field would have been Stieber. Um, and but his that's playing this one certainly bore that out. Right. Um, he, he and Assad both, uh, you know, Assad, Assad did have the goal and got himself in some good spots, but otherwise both of them had, you know, pretty unimpressive outings by their standards. Um, but yeah, I, I, I guess the main one to me is, is the Moreno switch because if you've got Canals on the field, with Durkin, I, I think you're probably better off against a team like Montreal. I, I, I tried, I, I got asked a couple times about why this would have happened. And I, I think my, my interpretation, this isn't my opinion, but what I think Olsen was thinking is that Durkin's not the best at defending on the turn. And when games get uh transition heavy, he can struggle. Um, and Moreno has, you know, as much as he gets knocked for basically for not being Durkin, um, he is better at defending all games in transition. Um, so uh, my thinking was that Olsen went that way, but in my opinion, you don't need to go that route when you've got Canals in as well. Um, if you've got Durkin and Canals out there, that problem doesn't exist anymore. So there's no reason to drop Durkin. Um, but obviously for this game, at least uh, Olsen disagreed. Um and, you know, I, I don't think Moreno was bad. I think he, he did have his customary uh, once-a-game mistake. It just came late in the game, and it ended with a corner for Montreal instead of a goal um, or a penalty kick. But, um, yeah, I, I'm I'm a little confused. I don't know what we're going to see on the weekend as a result of that. I think it throws a lot of uh, the lineup into question because this is not the 11 that I think anyone was expecting um, I think the only the only change that that I could understand and, and fully wrap my head around was Kofi Opare for Frederick Briant. I thought, you know, that kind of makes sense to me. If the defense isn't going to be good at anticipating and they're always going to be scrambling, at least put a better scrambler in there uh, to live. You know, if you're going to live that life, then put the best guys on the field for that style of play. Um, and, you know, Opare was involved on the goal, but I thought it was more that cross came, that cross never should have come in and he got a foot to it. It just happened to yeah, not, it kind of came, came it off of it, but let's break down that goal from the, from the beginning of it. Um, who was it? Tighter. Yeah. Gets the ball on, on the Orlando left comes up relatively unchallenged and ends up getting a cross in 
shot comes in. Uh, Kofi Opari blocks it with his foot. Nine times out of ten, that ball either stops dead at his foot or Karam caroms off somewhere else. In this case, it looked uh-huh. like a very clever backheel pass to uh, Mancosu, who who put it away from six yards because he's a professional soccer player who plays forward, and when they're open six yards from goal, they'll usually put it away. Ben, you take issue with some part of that. Yeah, I think... I just think that uh, Apare just sticking his foot out there in at the six yard box that was more dangerous than you than you let on. I think he was just letting it go wherever, and it went right where he he wasn't trying to control it. He wasn't trying to do anything with it. He was just trying to move it. And well, he was trying to block the shot, which defenders do all the time. I guess, but. It was just in a bad situation, and it he had no control over it. And if it had gone through, it might have gone to uh, burn bomb instead. And so he just redirected it right to the opponent, uh, the opposition player. I mean, if it had gone through, it would have been on goal, right? No, no, no. The, the cross was going to find Mancosu, and then Opare just basically took some of the speed off of it, and it went okay. straight to Mancosu's gotcha. foot. Um, okay. But he was going to get to it either way. I think. The problem for me is not, you know, Opari gets put in a, a situation where there's not much he can do. Um, I, I'm not saying he deserves zero blame um, because I do think in another situation, he gets enough of his foot on that ball where it, it doesn't fall straight to Mancosu. But for me, it's, you know, 95% of this is don't let that cross in. And Tyder, it was two on one. Uh, Fisher and Stieber had Tyder two on one. He's not a particularly gifted dribbler. He's not noted for his crossing. He's more of a goal scoring central midfielder. Um, they, they should have been able to contain that situation at right there without having much of an issue. And instead we're, you know, talking about a goal now. And that's to me, that's the real problem. If you're two on one there and the guy doesn't like fake everybody to the ground, then you have some explaining. There's no reason to let that cross ever come in. It's something that I heard on another podcast. I think it was Total Soccer Show recently. When one guy is is taking two guys on, the two defenders sometimes, rather than helping each other, can cancel each other out. If they're not sure what the other is going to do, they can be too deferential or get in each other's way. And I'm wondering if that's what happened here. Even though Stieber and Fisher should be pretty good at that by now, they've played enough together this year that they they should have that down. I, mean, I it, think they were just both bad on that encounter. They just that's both weren't reasonable. good. Yeah. I mean, that, that sums it up. They, it was just a situation where both players didn't really assert themselves. Um, and, it, 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 and it sucks for Fisher because on the balance, he was the better fullback, but he let up the goal and Mora didn't, even though Mora on it, the balance was worse. See, I would I would disagree. I thought Mora actually had a, a for his by his standards a pretty decent game. I thought Fisher was a normal O'Neill Fisher performance. I thought Mora was better than normal. Um, what concerned me was more that you know before the game I said Montreal is going to want to play down their left side because that's where Piotti is, and DC had to effectively push the game to the other side of the field. And if that meant a lot of possession for Mora, if that meant selling out in midfield to prevent the ball from ever getting across to Piotti, then so be it. And instead, this game was about Piotti's side of the field. And so O'Neill Fisher had a ton of touches and a ton of involvement. Um, 
Mora didn't have that much to do, but I know pretty much every time he managed to get into the attack, he did something constructive. Um, I thought he was fine in the attack. I just thought he was awful in defense. See, I I don't think he was really a problem in defense. I think the problems were at center back in the midfield and down the right. Um, But, and, and the fact that United was forced to play Montreal's game. They, they ended up playing a game where Piotti was getting most of the ball. Um, outside of Luciano Acosta, who had a great game. And and I know at halftime was like 20 touches ahead of everyone else in the game, which is kind of wild. That doesn't happen uh, for a number 10 uh, on the road, especially. But um, yeah, for, for me, it's more of a structural problem rather than individually between the two fullbacks. I just wanted this game to happen on DC's left more than it was. It was kind of a, it, the field was tilted and it was tilted towards the side that Montreal is strongest and that's a defensive failure as a group um and that maybe worries me more than um whether mora or fisher was better or worse i think it's it's close either way um well, and it's and it's a similar problem as to the red bulls game it, it seems like teams are able to make dc united play their game and their game being the opponent's game and not DC right. united's game yeah i mean that's a really good point because yeah. you know against the red bulls they do that to almost everybody um, they're the best team in the league at dictating the terms to the, their opponent. That's why I think I saw a stat over the weekend that their record against the other legitimately good teams in MLS is like six wins, one loss, uh, zero draws, something like that. Um, so they're great at this, but Montreal should not be able to just dictate um, the side of the field that the game is played. You know, United is good enough where they shouldn't have, um, you know, yes, Montreal is going to find Piatti some of the time. You're never going to cut it out completely, but United should have been able to do a better job as a group to prevent them from finding Piotti so often. Um, and I felt like they, they let themselves down a little bit. And I, I don't think that their approach was wrong. I think it was more of an execution issue. I, I just didn't, I didn't see a lot from the midfield and uh, up front to funnel them in the right direction. And when I did, I didn't see it done well enough where it could have uh, actually affected the game. So um you know, from that side of things, if you're going to have bad fullbacks and, you know, we're about 51 hours from the end of the transfer window as we're recording this, um, if you're going to be stuck with bad fullbacks, you need to protect them some way. You've got to find a way to win games with the guys you've got and United needs to protect their fullbacks. And right now they don't seem to be able to do that against anyone. You mentioned funneling uh, and that starts at the the front United, if they want to defend as a front foot team, which I'm not sure at this point they know what they want to do uh, on on that issue. I think they want to be a front foot team because they're really bad at back foot defending. But that that starts with Wayne Rooney, who is obviously not going to be running quite as much as Darren Maddox was when he was the starter. Uh, Jason, I'm curious your your thoughts on Rooney in this game. Ben said he was fine. Um, I think his I stat line was that. something. You said he was hesitated. Fine. I think I, that's what you I said. Did. I did. <laughs> uh, his stat line was something like six shots. Uh, two of them on goal obviously hit the woodwork, which is not a shot on goal, and it shouldn't be. I will fight you if you disagree with that, and and our buddy Rick will, will get my back because uh, he will fight people online about that issue all the time. Jason, what was your thought on, or, or what was your position, your take on Rooney's performance? 
Uh, I thought he did a lot better than against Atlanta. I thought United found him more often. Um, if you take a look at his passing chart, it's very much left of center. Um, he was getting close to Lucho. Um, but I think this ended up being the Lucho show rather than the Rooney show. Um, and, and, you know, on one hand, it's a credit to Rooney that he is willing to be um, the complimentary piece when the, when the game dictates that uh, someone else is going to be the dominant player in a game. Um, but on the other hand, you know, they've paid him, they're paying him like $5 million. They didn't buy a complimentary part. Um, score some goals. I, I mean, he hit the post from a, a direct free kick, like on another day that goes in. I'm not too worried about that side of it um, just yet. I mean, if we get, if we're at game 10, he, you know, he's on his fifth appearance. If we're at game 10 of the Rooney era and he's got like two goals uh, by then, you know, if his rate doesn't pick up some, then I'll start to be a little worried. Um, I thought he was fine. He, he maybe took a few too many shots in my opinion. Um, there were a couple of times where he didn't have to shoot that he did. Um, but I thought overall he was fairly dangerous. He had some bad luck getting shots blocked inside the box. Um, his passing was all right. I'd like to see maybe a couple more chances created rather than just accurate passes that, but actual like passes that lead to something. Um, but overall it was fine. Um, it's just that, you know, we're looking for a little more than fine. Um, and, and I think it's there. I don't, I don't, I didn't see in this performance something where I'm like, Rooney's never going to um, live up to what he's supposed to for the amount of money that's been put in. But at the same time, I'm not going to sit here and say that he was very good and that we should uh, respect it, even though he didn't score a goal. I, I thought he was fine. Um, he should be better than fine on most, most weeks. But if the war, if this is like a baseline performance, if this is like Rooney's minimum on the road, then we're probably not going to be too bad off. It's just a matter of getting that a little higher. Um, he got through 90 minutes without looking too exhausted. I think our internal chat was that around the 70th or 75th minute is when he started to look like he could have used a sub. Um, and I do, I wonder about Olsen's thought process there because Darren Maddox probably could have found himself running onto a few long balls when this game got open at the end. Um, but overall, I, you know, there's something to build on there. It's not a hopeless scenario, but he does need to improve a little bit. It's just, you know, I don't think he was bad. Um, and on another night, maybe we're talking about, you know, Rooney's great free kick goal and, and Rooney gets an assist and, and blah, blah, blah. And Rooney and Lucho play so well together. Um, and, you know, some of that is just a few inches here and there. Um, so, you know, it's a mixed bag. Um, and hopefully against Orlando, uh, a lesser team defensively, then he should be able to really, uh, take advantage. If we're, you know, if we're here next week and we're still talking about Rooney with one goal and one assist, I'll be maybe a little more concerned. Before we get into breaking down Orlando, let's talk about some changes we might want to see from DC United before uh, the Purple Lions come up to to Buzzard Point. Uh, I I assume we want Paul Ariola in there for a home game. He's, I would argue, the more attacking number eight. Uh. Russell Knaus has been pretty good in his two starts, uh, but Chris Durkin provides another dimension. Ben, how do you want to see one or both of those guys deployed? Yeah, I have a theory that harkens back to 2012 based on Ben Olsen's choices that I wanted to throw out there to y'all. 
2012, Ben Olsen played Branko Boscovich at home. Also, miss you, Branko. Love you forever, Branko. Um, but he didn't play him on the road. He played a more defensive 4-2-3-1 on, on the road. And I'm wondering if that that same sort of mindset influenced Ben Olsen in this game, and that's why he didn't start Paul Areola. Uh, he wanted to start a more defensive midfield for this game. Uh, given that they have so many home games, I think it will revert back to the 4-1-4-1 with uh, Knauss setting up deep, and then Lucho and uh, Areola in front of them, in front of him. So that's what I want to see, and that's my theory as to what Ben Olsen might have been thinking in this game and as, as to why we didn't see Ariola in this game. I think it's fair. It's a fair theory. I mean, it's, it's based on the past. Um, we don't have a lot of away games to, to test the theory, though, or test right. the hypothesis I, right. going and, forward. And that's also why I think maybe Ben Olsen did it, is because he only had a couple of away games left, so he was just like, I, I want to try and get through this away game and then I can go all out in all of my remaining home games. I'm curious how much of it was uh, Ben Olsen thinking that the process was pretty good against Colorado. Oh, even I if the, the goals because weren't it there, it wasn't even if the goals weren't there and they, they toyed with Colorado a little bit too much and didn't step up the urgency. Uh, well, and then they, the same thing happened against uh, Montreal. Well, they, they weren't toying with Montreal early. They, I mean, from minute nine through minute forty-five, they were. Uh, I wouldn't characterize I mean, it as toying. How many times? That's not it, toying with. That's you're just not toying with anybody when you're not winning. Okay. <laughs> um, but uh, it, I think there is a thread that connects the two things. I, I think Ben's not far off because um, it's two games where they were mostly dominating for a long stretch of time, but they weren't scoring a goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and in both games, it's it's funny to say it because earlier this season, I felt like um, DC was pretty ruthless in front of goal and they kept turning whatever chances they generated into goals. And now they're creating many more chances, but they are yeah. not ruthless anymore. Um, and it seems like a, a an unfair trade because it's like they they haven't made any progress in front of goal. And it's because they've gone from being uh, extremely clinical, uh, but never creating that many chances to creating a ton of chances and just not clinical at all. Um, if they can marry those two concepts and be both, you know, creating a ton of chances and also finishing them, I think they're going to be fine going forward. Um, yeah. You know, against Colorado, I think if they bury any of those chances during that stretch of time where they were showing off, then the game is over and we don't have to worry at all. Um, I think in this game against Montreal, if they, bury any of those chances before halftime, they probably would have gone on to win the game um, because they, they would have gone from being in control, but still losing to all of a sudden we're in control. We've leveled the score. We we see the path that, you know, it's one of those things where you have to sort of see it happen to start to believe it. And in this game, it took them a while to see it happen. Um, and it, it's funny that it was Assad in the end because um, of all the players to question whether it was his day in front of goal or not, Assad would have been the guy. Um, and maybe there's something to um, there's something to Assad's goal scoring record where even on a bad day he's able to to keep going and finally get a goal. Um, yeah, they they do need to be more clinical and and stop 
ending up in these situations where they're playing really well, but they're not actually scoring. They've got to start turning those into goals. And um, it has to happen, you know, this weekend. Uh, it has to start right away. Anything else you guys want to hit on before we take a quick break? Nope. Any calls for a three man back line against Orlando? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, DC doesn't have the personnel. I, I guess I can just say that since I've had to say it on Twitter to individuals like a 20, 30 times this year. Um, if you play a three in the back with this roster as comprised, you don't have a place for Emil Assad. Uh, you might not have a, or you might end up with Assad or Lucho um, and having to choose between one of them. It's not a good fit just because other teams are having success with a back three. doesn't mean you also need to move to it. Zoltan Stever um, cannot be a wing back in a, right. in a back in a back three. It's just he, not happening. Right. Like he and Assad both uh, aren't really wing backs, except no. you know, if you're throwing the kitchen sink at somebody at the end of the game, fine. But those are different circumstances than the full 90 minutes. This isn't FIFA. Um, where you just need to throw your fastest players on the field to to equalize against a a better opponent or or what have you. This is real life, and you've got to adapt to their real qualities. Um, yeah, a back three for this group doesn't make sense at this point. Um, what they need to do is sign some fullbacks in the next like twenty four hours, <laughs> or if they I, give, or if they give up on the season, start signing players to do a back three with, but it's not this team. Yeah. That I, was, just, I mean, if you go through a, like a full on like 16 players changed out roster overhaul, which I believe we just did in the last off season, right. uh, then you can, you can start to think about a back three, but until then, until you see that much of an overhaul, it's not going to happen. This team is built from top to bottom from player. Number one, the player, I believe they've got 26 players on the roster. Um, is built to play some version of four three three or four two three one or four one four one, and they keep playing it because that's the best way to get the best out of this group. Um, it's just the group is is what it is. <laughs> I agree. Uh, I brought it up mostly just to get a reaction. Uh, that said, I have kicked around an unorthodox three back. Maybe I'll write about it or talk about it in a bonus episode sometime. Uh, it, it involves a diamond too. It's really weird. Um, on that note, that sounds unholy. Oh, it's terrible. It's a Ad, terrible idea. But it's Adam like, has actually been a Steve Samson manager this whole time. Actually, it's a little bit Steve Samsonish. I, mean, I don't have any proof that Adam isn't Steve Samson. Uh, I, I You've do never have seen us in the same room at the same time. I've never met Steve Samson, so that's true. All right, we're going to call it. That's it for this segment. We'll be right back to preview DC United, Orlando City. Stick around. It's filibuster. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell Uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But, But if this were a hostile work environment or if I were trying to steal your wages or or do something else oh, nefarious in a I'm really not. Uh but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. 
It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. DC United. All right, we, we went behind the curtain in the first segment. We'll do it again here. We were talking about the Great Lakes during the break. I'm and not sure. The greatest I, think, I think there was talk of launching people. people. Yes, it was about <laughs> launching people into each Great Lake in a, in a uh, rotating fashion. All right. Does Lake St. Clair count? Because it's a lake in between Huron and Erie. No, no, Wikipedia calls it a minor lake. It can still be great. No, it's minor. You could have a great time on it, I suppose. <laughs> in theory. I think, I think the St. Clair, Lake St. Clair Tourism Board should should probably sponsor this podcast because we're coming up with good taglines there. You I can mean, have yeah, a great time on this minor lake. I mean, yeah, if you want us to call you a great lake, we, we can be bought. It's true. I'll 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 turn around completely on this one. <laughs> but are we okay with launching people into Lake St. Clair? That's the important thing. Yeah. I mean, if you've decided you're launching people uh, and you include Lake St. Clair in the Great Lake rotation, then no, that's not okay to me. Um, <laughs> but if, if you're just saying, people in the lakes. yes, if you just say like we're launching people into all of the lakes that are nearby, then yeah, sure, you can include that one in any other lake you've got. But uh, if it, you're saying Great Lakes, you're restricted to the actual Great Lakes, unless you pay, and then I'll, I'll immediately tell you that your like, lake, your lake can be great for a low, low fee. Yes, uh, and and I'll fight to the death for your lake, lake to be declared a Great Lake. The Great Dismal Swamp. You have a lake in you. You could be great if you pay us. There are no Great Lakes anywhere near the <laughs> District of Columbia. I, uh, not with that attitude. Swamp is only three hours away Wait. without traffic. Lake Barcroft, very small lake, not a great not, lake. Smith but if Mountain. the Barcroft Homeowners Association wants to sponsor this podcast. Smith Mountain Lake has a lot of rich people. They could sponsor a podcast. DC United, open... Uh, a new homestand this Sunday night. It's the first of three home games in a week. This first one is also Audi Field's national television debut. The black and red host Orlando City, FS1, 8 o'clock Sunday night. Uh, the Purple Lions are having a very them sort of season right now. They, they, they fired their head coach, which in their short history, they'd already done before. Uh, they're outside of the playoffs, which is a very comfortable position for, for them. Very familiar for, for them. Uh, and, and that's despite what their fans have called one of the biggest roster makeovers in the league's history, because Orlando city never content with their own history. They have to shoehorn everything into a broader context. Um, 
let's let's start with that coaching situation. They fired Jason Kreiss, new man in charge, James O'Connor, brought in from Louisville City, where he had built them into a not a total powerhouse in USL, but a very strong USL team. They're they're still in the right right there near the top of the Eastern Conference in USL. Uh, O'Connor is a, a former Purple Lion from their USL days, and Louisville City was once Orlando's USL affiliate before OCB became a thing. And it's no longer a thing. It's not. Uh, Jason, what what should we what should we know about James O'Connor? Um, he has a very different perspective on uh, what players are capable of what roles uh, for Orlando than. We previously saw um, on this weekend, they, they used uh, Mohamed El Munir, who played really well at left back against DC in the first game of the season. He used him as a left forward in a home game. Um, he used uh, PC, who I think if you're going to play El Munir and PC, PC, I would think you would switch them in a 4-3-3. You would have El Munir as the left back and PC further forward. Um, but he played PC as the left back and El Munir as the left forward. Um Sasha question had a sort of a wide role that would often drift inside rather than staying out on the wing. Um, Tony Rocha, who's kind of a utility guy who doesn't play that much. He started as their number six in a four, three, three. So there's a lot of, you know, he looked at this roster and just has some very different interpretations of um, what to do with the players that are at his disposal than Jason Christ did. Um, Another good example, like Chris Mueller was only used as a sub. Um, Will Johnson doesn't get to play now uh, after Jason Christ made him a, a starter pretty much no matter what Will Johnson did, including some very bad stuff away from the field. Um, he's so a yeah, person. Yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's not great. Um, there's, no, there's no defending it. Um, but so, yeah, you know, he has looked at their roster and has had – you know, if they if if Orlando felt like what they needed was fresh eyes on this group of players, they've certainly gotten some fresh eyes because uh, O'Connor has interpret. I mean, Joe Bendick was dropped for Earl Edwards, uh, not just in the Open Cup but in league play. Um, I don't think that's really worked out. That one I really can't get my head around because I I don't think Joe Bendick is that great or anything, but I do think he's played about as well as he can for Orlando, and he gen- generally tends to be one of the better. You know, maybe not among the top tier, but he's a pretty go- a pretty good goalkeeper to have. Um, I don't think Edwards is anything special, and yet here we are with Edwards starting over Bendik for reasons unknown. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely a very it's not a big change in terms of tactics or formation, but in terms of which players are allowed to get a specific role and what roles uh, who's being trusted as a starter. O'Connor has definitely made a major shift away from the Jason Christ era for sure. Another change for Orlando city, Justin Miram, a big part of that off season overhaul that I referenced earlier is now gone, sent back to Columbus from whence he came. Uh, essentially Orlando city paid $300,000 in general allocation money for a half season rental of Jason Mir- or of Justin Miram. And if you remember the, DC United season opener down in Orlando, then that this will probably strike you as a good thing for DC because Miram was unplayable in that game. He dominated. Um, and, and for those of you who've blocked it out, DC United was ahead up by a goal and a man in that game and managed not to win. 
it was and managed was, to get outplayed throughout. Yeah, deservedly, um, once that red did card not happened. Win. Yeah, once that red card happened, they looked like the team that had lost a player. Yeah, uh, Justin Miram took it over, and he will not be there. Jason, what what happened to Miram between that debut for Orlando, in which he was dominant, and now where he's no longer even on the team? Uh, I think it starts with Orlando not knowing what to do with him, even though um, they said all throughout the offseason that they were probably going to play 4-2-3-1. They signed a bunch of players built to play that way. Um, Merrim was coming off of a 2017 in which he was basically the best winger in the league, give or take one Ignacio Piatti. Um, He scored a ton of goals cutting in from the left in Columbus. And instead of bringing him in and having him do the same thing for them where they didn't have anyone else that could do that, they tried him as a second forward. They tried him in, you know, in the diamond, they played him at the point of the diamond a couple times. Um, and, and then once his confidence kind of left him, then they were like, Oh, we'll play four, two, three, one now. And, um, they played him on the left sometimes, but then eventually they gave up on him pretty quickly. The fan base, some of, uh, Orlando's wonderful fans, uh, turned on him very quickly. Um, and were you know, he said that there were like death threats, uh, from Orlando's fan base, uh, sent to him. Um, and so you, I, how could you possibly blame the guy for wanting to leave and, and not being at his best when his own team's fans are, are the most ferocious critics he has. Um, and it wasn't because he did something that offended them. It was just, he wasn't playing all that well, um, was all that happened. Um, and a lot of it is on Jason Kreiss's shoulders because he didn't seem to know what to do with a guy that it's kind of obvious what to do with him. Um, he's going to go to Columbus and I'm sure he's going to settle right back in and immediately start scoring goals from the left wing for them. Um, which is not great for the rest of the East, but, uh, that's Orlando city kind of in a nutshell that that story kind of sums up their whole organization, uh, from the time they came to MLS to now. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 not good for them. It's good for DC uh, that they don't seem to know what to do with players they acquire. But um, that's their business, I guess. You're you're right. Like just thinking about that, that the Justin Miram situation is their fan base in a nutshell. This is the I, obviously I'm painting with broad strokes here, but this is the fan base that doxed a referee, right? Yeah, and so that plenty, he could be more easily harassed. There are plenty of Orlando fans who are not like this. It's just that there are way yes. too many Orlando fans who are like this and have yes. a demonstrable pattern of behavior um, against their own, against referees, against players from other teams, against fans from other teams, against other sites. Um, that unfortunately, it just seems to be an ongoing thing down there. It's just there isn't the organization hasn't done enough to get those people to decide to not act like that or to figure out how to not act like that. And no one seems that concerned. It's, it's weird because in, you look around the league and there's a lot of cracking down on different fans for different things. And then Orlando just gets to do whatever they want. And it's, it's not, it's not good. Ben, I feel like this is where we put in your semi-annual. I told you so. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they remain, I, I, it baffles me because they have new coaches, they have new front office, but they just remain a terrible group of people who are terrible and should not be allowed in MLS because they're bad. And it makes me happy that they fire their coaches and hope 
I hope nothing but bad things happen to them on the field. Not off the field. I don't wish, like, existential pain for them, but I hope they lose all their games forever. <laughs> in their defense, people in general are bad. Well, yeah. That's not a very strong defense. I'm not no, not, not going to lie. But their conduct with Merrim is just ridiculous. Like people were, yes, it is. It's over the top. You know, they were saying that he looked like he had cancer as an insult rather than like, why would you ever go to that? Well, first of all, that's already speak. No, that, that's awful. With, that's, that's a disgusting thing that should never. Yeah. Be anything. If that's what you're thinking is like, I'm going to insult someone and that's what comes out of you. Like you got to look in the mirror for yeah. a while. You need to really no, reconsider. Just, no, you don't need to look in the mirror. You just need to never do anything ever again and go away forever. Ben, are you saying you should hurry yourself into one of the great lakes? Uh, probably. Lake Erie, because yeah. it's the most polluted one, too. <laughs> there you go. Like the, the, the Cuyahoga River into Lake Erie was literally lit on fire in the 70s. So hur- hurl yourself into Lake Erie. Let's get back to soccer. <laughs> uh, we we talked about the Montreal DC game earlier, and I mentioned it could have ended three to three with all the chances that were created. The Orlando game against New England in Orlando this weekend actually did finish three to three. It was it was bonkers, and unlike DC Montreal, it wasn't really. It, it wasn't good attacking play leading to these chances. It was, uh, it, it's something that'll be familiar to DC United fans. It was really preventable boneheaded defensive errors by both teams that created the six goals in Orlando last weekend. Um, the first one I still can't believe happened. Jason, it was a throw in that Juan Agadello flicks into the goal. That was it. Right. Um, I don't understand how that happens. Like DC United has had trouble defending throw-ins. I don't think they've ever had one that egregious. Well, unfortunately you're, you're hitting a raw nerve for me. Everyone on the show knows about me and giving up a goal from a throw-in. And literally just yesterday, I had to watch the Washington spirit who are clinging to a a one, nothing deficit concede a goal off of a throw-in. That was a lot like this Agudelo goal you're talking about. Um, It's just the kind of like, it's it's so simple. Just don't shut off, and you won't give up this kind of goal. Um, but that's where Orlando is right now. They're trying to incorporate um, yet another new. I don't think this group of four players ever played together in the back. Um, Shane O'Neill has only just arrived, um, only three weeks ago. I want to say um, Scott Sutter is who's a pretty good right back, but he has missed most of the season. Um, PC under Christ was never used as a left back. He was always used further forward. So, um, or not never, but almost never. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a new look back four with a new goalkeeper behind them. And I'm sure that there was just a, um, instance of very bad communication in a loud stadium. Um, but all of that is an excuse. Like it's a throw in, you know what you need to do on a throw in. Um, and if you shut off in those moments to the extent that they did to let Agudelo score this goal, it's just, you know, it's the kind of thing that would make a, you know, a coach has to like bottle that emotion and not show that because you can lead your team into a pretty bad place if you flip out um, to the wrong extent that early in a game. And, and you know, Orlando did bounce back from 2 nothing down to get a draw out of this game. So 
obviously O'Connor didn't uh, freak out in the way that I might have. Um, but I'm sure he had to sort of swallow some of that anger and be like, all right, it's fine. We're just down one nothing. I don't have to lose my mind because of this stupid goal we just gave up. Um, and then he had to do it again. Yeah. Because yeah. the second goal, I, I misspoke earlier. It was not all defensive errors that, that created the goals. It was really bad possession play. Uh, the second goal for New England to put them up 2 nothing came when uh, Orlando's right back passed it into the center to a teammate who was marked and was unable to hang on to the ball immediate two on one slash one on zero or one on one with the keeper for Teal Bunbury, who, who actually finishes really well, but just, a, 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 I don't have words to describe that pass. Like just watching that play. I'm like, what is happening here? Yeah. And some of it, um, and this is something that United can actually execute. Some of that is their pressure towards the ball um, they seem to know that Orlando was going to do what they were going to um, because as soon as this play starts, you know, Scott Sutter's on the ball, he looks for a back pass and he sees that it's not on because uh, I believe it's Bunbury ends up being cl- just close enough where it's like, okay, this is too high risk of a pass for me to make. Um, so he's smart. He, he slows down. He doesn't make the back pass. But then he immediately, instead of turning outside and then playing long or something like that, he plays uh, the ball into the middle where the Revs have four players surrounding one guy on the ball. And as soon as he's touching the ball, I think it's Tony Rocha, as soon as he's touching the ball, he already has a bunch of people surrounding him. And from there, it just gets poked loose and then it's a goal. Um, this is the kind of play that a team that's well-drilled never does or almost never does. Um, and it looks like Orlando isn't very well drilled right now. It looks like this is a team that you can high press into mistakes, which should be great news because DC United has scored a ton of goals by high pressing teams into this kind of error. Um, maybe not this level of error. This is like above and beyond. Um, but, you know, that just means it's a more ripe environment for that kind of play. Um, I This being a home game against a team that's not really psychologically very uh, doing very well right now, that doesn't have very good players across the back. I think United should be even more high pressing than normal. They really should sell out to try and get themselves a lead because we've seen the last two of the last three games, they've given up that early goal and ended up only getting one point from those games. And this is a game where they can't afford to fall behind. They can't, I don't, I think as much as last week was a must not lose. In my opinion, this game, they have to win. You have to beat Orlando at home. Um, if you're in DC United shoes, this one's, uh, not even a draw, a draw is theoretically. Okay. There's no draw. There's no scenario in which a draw is okay to me. Um, given the standings, given Orlando's ability right now. Um, and that's maybe the best path forward is go press them into a mistake. Go, go score a goal early, get control of this thing from the start. Um, and Orlando seems like they're going to be very cooperative towards that approach because, this goal just looked like a team that was unaware that other teams might high press them. It was like, what, what do you, what do you mean? New England's going to high press. And it's like, have you seen new England play this year at, at all? Um, that, and this was do. that kind of goal. Yeah. Th- this is the revs whole thing is their high press. Um, if you, if you don't know what's coming, then that's on you. And this, you know, I, I will say from a new coach perspective, maybe the whole thing for O'Connor has been, we need to work on ourselves. We have so much to improve. But someone on that coaching staff has to be like doing a you know half hour presentation on like, hey, 
this team is going to high press us a lot. We should be ready for it. And it, it doesn't look like anyone, if, if that presentation happened, no one was paying attention. On, on the must win note, DC United, I, I mentioned this is the first game of a three game homestand all within a week. Uh, the second one is Portland on Wednesday on short rest. And we'll talk about that next week, along with the, the game against new England next Sunday. Um, Portland is going to be a tough game. They haven't lost in what, like 15 games. Yeah. I believe it's 15 straight in all competitions. Yeah. So um, you, you got to get, if you don't get six points out of this homestand, it's an utter failure. Uh, and realistically to make the playoffs, you're going to need more than six probably from this. So you have to get some kind of result against a very tough Portland team. Uh, so you have to win against Orlando. You have to win against New England, but it has to start this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's no there's no good excuse for not being a team like Orlando City in the state that they're in right now. If you get them at home, you should beat them if you're any good. Um, if you're Colorado, then okay, fine. Maybe you can't beat them, but DC is better than Colorado. I think we can say that pretty safely. Um I think maybe we can't say they're better than the Montreal's of the world, which is why it, it, I was thinking about this earlier today that the game against Montreal is, is two teams that probably looked at the other and said, well, we should be able to beat those guys. And mm-hmm. then they couldn't, it kind of sums up what's wrong with both of those teams. Um, Orlando is another team that I would look at them and say, absolutely. DC should be able to beat them. But DC has a, a one, one draw on the road. That was like as intolerable a one, one road draw as could possibly be. And then they got knocked out in the open cup by Orlando uh, in a game that again, they should have done a lot better with, and they just didn't. Um, So they've got some, there's some evidence that DC, despite having a lot of reason to believe they're better, hasn't actually shown it yet. Um, And they need to show it. They, they have to actually execute at the level they can rather than the theoretical. um, They need to actually put it on the table because if you can't if you can't beat Orlando with the standings as they are, you pretty much would have to make up for that by beating the Red Bulls at Red Bull Arena or going uh, to uh, Yankee Stadium and being NYCFC. Um, it becomes that level of, you know, we kind of written, have written off those two. All of us have written off those two games down the road as likely defeats. But if you can't beat Orlando at home, they have to become wins. Um, and that's not... It's it's a bad situation as is. It's much worse if you have to go. NYCFC has not lost a single game at home all year. Um, DC has lost every single time they've gone there. You can't then turn around and be like, well, we have to win this game or the season might be sunk because that might be where it is if you can't take points from uh, this pretty bad Orlando team that has given up 54 goals this season. 54, That's so many goals. They're eight. They've given up eight more goals than anyone else in the league. Um, and they haven't, it's not like they've played many more games than everyone else. They've played 23. So Chicago, Montreal, they've, and, uh, Atlanta have all played more games than, than, uh, Orlando. And yet they've conceded 54 times. So how does United do that outside of the high press? Where should they be focusing against Orlando? Uh, I think I think a major thing is disrupting them in the midfield, not just through the high press, but through a solid defensive structure. If you're forcing them into turnovers, 
there's not a lot of patience in Orlando's formation or their lineup, I should say. Um, they tend to really want to get after everybody all the time. And it's, it's always got to be, if we're not on the front foot controlling the game, then what are we doing? Um, and they're a team that can tend to lose their heads. Um, not just in terms of temper, though, that's a big problem for them, but also their decisions with the ball. Um, they're, they're the kind of team that tries to force things. Um, Sasha question might be the one player who's like, guys, we don't have to, every pass doesn't have to be an assist. Like you can take some time to connect. Uh, the rest of the team doesn't seem to get it. Um, and you know, question might, I mean, he left this game in the 44th minute, so I don't know if he's going to play. Um, Yoshimaru Yotun got sent off, uh, at full time. Uh, so he's definitely not going to play. Um, those are their two most skillful, intelligent players. So, um, on top of everything else, they're missing some, you know, they the brain trust of that team is going to be out for this one. Um, so this is, you know, United needs to go make the game a DC United style of game. They need to press, uh, they need to control the tempo. They need to take advantage of the fact that Orlando is trying to rush everything through. Um, and other than that, it, it'll come down to some, some simple stuff. It's not difficult to beat Orlando city. They might give up a goal. I, it wouldn't shock me if DC was giving up a goal against uh, a team that has scored a bunch, but, um, Ultimately, this is the kind of game where I'm thinking like this is a DC should beat this team three one. Um, they should be able to get that many chances against this back four, whether it's playing via the press, whether it's playing people through um, on the dribble. They're not very good defensively. Um, I don't think um, if they field this midfield again with uh, Rocha and Higita, I don't think they're going to be too comfortable dealing with Luciano Acosta. Um, particularly forget the Lucho that played against Montreal, who was again, pretty spectacular. Um, but yeah, I, I think all around, I look at Orlando, especially if you take your tune and question out of the lineup, I look at this Orlando team and think like, this is a team that should be down near the bottom and United should be able to get at their back four regularly. And I mean, this, the back four isn't, they don't really have a strength. They don't have a thing where it's like, well, at least they're good at defending that. They don't really have anything that they can fall back on. So um, if United executes and doesn't do anything too foolish, I think they should be fine. It's just that, you know, they've had a propensity to do some foolish things this season. And that that's the worry to me. Ben, anything else you want to add? <laughs> that's that's the really important part of the analysis i'm not gonna lie thank you all for listening this week find us at blackandredunited.com find us at patreon.com slash filibuster and support families children with with down syndrome at ben the url bit.do slash filibuster there you go. Uh, we're also on Twitter at filibuster DCU for the podcast at black and red U for the website. Find us wherever you get your podcasts uh, ratings and reviews. I'm told are helpful. Send your emails to filibuster podcast at gmail.com and tell a friend about the show out in meat world before the game at the game uh, at the birthday party you're going to before the game, whatever, just, uh, please mention us to another DC United fan. That's the best way to get the word out. Uh, That's it for us this week. We will talk at you again real soon for Jason and Ben. I'm Adam. Say goodbye, Jason. 
300 more episodes. I actually have no complaints about that. Man. Peace, everyone. Everyone.